Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for another episode of the pod. We are, have officially kicked off the 23-24 Gallagher Premiership season. Um, that's about all we can say for Sunday, really. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host Alex and Alex, let's get right into it. Sale kick off their season with a 20 points to 15 win over Northampton. Uh, what, did you, what did you make of that one? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's a win and you've got to be happy with that. You know, we we had to sort of win that game with it being at home with, I think Northampton will be challenging us for top four. So, you know, it was a must win and, and we did that. I thought the first half was actually very, very positive. I thought we were excellent in defence and we were able to push them back Um really significantly you know not just through uh, the physicality of our hits which was really good uh, and we were able to kind of physically dominate them in that sense but also through the structure of our defense and you see in that you know Jamie Langley has picked up where Mike Forshaw left off because you know we've got the runners shooting up outside we're causing the chaos and and yeah they made a few line breaks but generally their line breaks kind of came from you know say a quick tap penalty or um, you know, mistakes in catching the ball in the air or that kind of thing. I don't think they got through our defence that much. So that was really positive. And the attack in the first half was was looking really good. I think Sam Bedlow offers a lot at 12 in, in that sort of second playmaker role, which was, was positive. Back three picked up where they left off last season, that creativity of Sam James. And, and again, he picked up where he left off last season. So a lot of really positive things I think in that first half and then the second half we just well we didn't do anything did we and we didn't literally well, didn't score any points I was um, gonna say how do you how do you balance that that very promising first half with you, you know the fact that at, at half time we were 20 points to 10 up and the game finished 20 points to 15 in sales favor no points scored in the second half for, for sale yeah, and I think it was it was just a weird second half, wasn't it? It was it's hard to describe it because we spent so much of it defending. Um, I think, and this comes to the point um, in the first half as well. It was an issue. Our discipline was a little bit lax. Um, got on the wrong side of the referee at various points, which in the first half I think we were able to kind of keep our discipline just enough to not keep giving Saints the momentum. In the second half, I think as tiredness set in, you saw that you know we were starting to give away those those penalties um, more and more regularly, and sort of compounding those errors as we went, which meant we were just defending for the whole half. Really, I can't think of much attacking, and when we did attack, we just weren't quite as clinical as we were in the first half. Um, so yeah, it was a it was an odd game. I think you have to say the mentality and the kind of fight to come out with the win is really, really impressive because, and we'll probably talk about it later, but when you look at the stats, Northampton dominated everything, territory possession, you know, whatever you want to pick, Northampton dominated it. Uh, the only thing Sale had more of was tackles, really. Um, and and that that's a good test for the start of the season. I think, you know, Northampton are a very, very good side. They obviously made the semi-finals last year. I think they will do so again this year. I think they were really, really exciting side to watch but they've also you know they've got a lot of internationals to come back as well so you know they're going to be a threat and and to get the win at home is is good 
The disappointment is obviously that that second half, we didn't score any points. And this was kind of a bit of a feature of last season, I think, wasn't it? You know, good first half and then falling away in the second half and clinging on for the win. Um, and and not, not getting the try bonus point as a result, because that was there for the taking, having scored three really good tries after how many minutes, 15, 20 minutes. Um, so, yeah, a, I think it's got to be a positive, hasn't it? You've got to see that as positive. It's, it's a really good result um, against a, a very good team. And if you look around the league, you can see that, you know, it's going to be an incredibly competitive season. Um, but there's definitely areas for improvement. We know that'll happen. We've got some big names to come back from various either injury or, or, um, or international. I think there's a few areas in the squad that are being tested by that, by injury and international absence. Hooker, which we'll talk about as well later. But yeah, given everything, all that was kind of every factor of the game, all that consideration of who we had available and and the need to really just get the season started with a win, I think we have to be happy with that. But like you say, we're both sort of sat here going... Yeah, well, it was a win, and that's really good. But it just—it felt like the first game of a season, didn't it? Really, yeah. it, you know, you can have the Premier Rugby Cup, uh, and you can talk like we did last week all you want about yeah, we've built up really nicely and we've warmed up into this. And ultimately, the first game of the season is always going to be a first game of the season. There's going to be gaps in defences. There's going to be balls dropped, and, and as people get up to that full season intensity. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's hard to reconcile, isn't it? Um, a, a win, and in some sense, it's a pretty good win, um, but also a win in which we didn't score any points in the second half. Um, we end the game defending on our goal line uh, with with the game in the balance. Um, you know, for every positive, there was a bit of a a bit of a disappointment or, or a negative attached to it, and. Um, yeah, it's kind of left us feeling a bit bit whatever, uh, I think it's probably fair to say. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. The, the, the reason for that probably is, you were talking about the end of the game there, we spent five minutes defending on our line. It was like watching Island New Zealand again, um, for those of you that watched that on Saturday night. But we could have easily lost this game, and I think that maybe is where it comes from, because really, Northampton should have put more points on us in the second half, and probably should have, on that basis, won the game or or at least drawn it if they'd managed to get over the try line at the end. I mean, internally as a squad, that moment of defending on our line and, and how, getting that turnover, um, or that penalty, sorry, and, and you know coming away from that not having conceded, especially after Rob Debrea going off and you know multiple penalties building up. So the pressure was massively on. Internally as a squad, I think that's really positive. That's something they're going to be able to take with them throughout the season into the next game and, and so on and so on. As a fan, and as as someone looking at it really kind of unemotionally, uh, as we are able to do now the day after and, and that kind of thing, you you do think, and maybe this is a sale fan's pessimism, but you do sort of go, well, really, Northampton probably should have scored against us there. They were attacking against 14 men. We've been defending for ages. And it speaks to how good our defence and defensive system was all game that they just genuinely never really managed to get through all around us yeah so that's it's it's hard isn't it because then i'm saying listen they could have won that but actually if you had said to me oh northampton's going to score here on the evidence of 
everything you've seen in that game, take away a sale fan's natural pessimism, yeah, probably say no because they haven't yeah. they haven't been able to get through us. So it's that might be part of it that this is closer than it sort of almost felt weirdly comfortable at the end, didn't it? Because you were like, <laughs> we've got away with that, but I always thought we would because our defense has been so good. And and you know to, to your point about oh Saints should have won this game. Well, they had ample opportunity to do it, right? They'd had, you know, most of the possession, 50, 57% possession, 59% territory, 12 entries into our 22. Um, four sale into, what, 220 tackles. Um, and yet, like you said, they never really sort of felt genuinely threatened. You look at the first, you look at their tries, the, the Tommy Freeman one, uh, you know, two two minutes in or whatever. Yeah, it's a good finish in the corner, you know, fair, fair enough, but... Actually, between that try and James Ram's try, they really didn't offer much in the way of, of genuine threat. Or if they did, Sale repelled it very well. And actually, that James Ram try is just a, a kick up in the air that, that has a fortuitous you know, bounce. Um, and it's, a, it's basically a breakaway try. And even then, I think there's a case to be made that Joe Carpenter actually makes the wrong read in defence uh, by going uh, to... Is it Alex Coles, the, the Northampton lock who makes the pass over to James Ram? He actually should have probably drifted off and let Alex Coles run run through because he's got um he's got Tom Roebuck and the rest of the team actually covered across in defense, and Roebuck does pretty well to get to get back. Um although obviously yeah, look, that's a that, that's asking a lot of Joe Carpenter to make that sort of decision in, in split time. But actually, you know, you watch it back, you think, yeah, he probably could have left him. Um but even then, like, you know, that that's just one fortuitous bounce and that was how Northampton got back into the game. So, yes, you can make a case that they probably deserve to win it, but I think you can also make a case to say that Sale, you know, were, were good value for the win as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is a good point. That If you look at Northampton's scores in the game, you know, they missed one kick at goal, I think, didn't they? But then Finn Smith obviously gets the other kick, and then it's two tries. Um, and like you say, that James Ram one was a little bit of a... Not a freak because it's it's a deserved try. You know they competed in the air, they disrupted that ball, the ball bounced favourably. You know you only have to watch France South Africa from Sunday night to see that that's a very sensible tactic um, when you're not being it when you can't get through a defence. So that's that's is a good try, but it's it's kind of it's not going to happen every time. And and I think it's within Sales' kind of power to be able to diffuse those by taking the high ball and setting up for. For that in in a slightly different way in the backfield potentially, um, and then the first try is just from again the thing is from penalty isn't it? Quick tap gets through the line um, and then just gets moved out wide and and it was almost you know it was, as you say very well executed. But Northampton, I was only ever worried about Northampton scoring off first phase because you thought our oh, first phase or so first phase off a penalty or line out or whatever you think there could be something here and that's when they seem to threaten and then as soon as they got into pattern we were just all over them and, and we were you know shutting them down and genuinely driving them yards and yards backwards in defense which is really impressive to do there's one where we're defending our line in the first half and you know they're five meters out or they were two meters out at one point and just through the sheer intensity of our defense the fact that we were able to hit physically drive them back in the in the short yards from the line they try the pullback pass which doesn't go to hand and all of a sudden they're on the edge of the 22 and 
and that that intensity is really good. And, and I think, as I said in my tweet after the game, you know, defense wins championships, in the words of our American friends, and that's one that I stole from you, Lewis. But you know, it, it is, isn't it? And our attack is still really good. But let's make no bones about it. We can score our first phase with the best of them. That Tom O'Flaherty try off the mall is fantastic. But I was going to say, it, it all feels very on on that point about defense. It all felt very Saracens-esque, didn't it? Like, you know, wave after wave, absorb, absorb, absorb. And then actually when we had two or three opportunities, we were ruthless. And that Tom O'Flaherty try is a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. I'd have to say last season's series, because this season's series appeared to be completely impotent and get battered by Exeter. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very true. It's a really good model for, you know, winning... It's, and, and people get frustrated by that because they go, well, you know, Northampton have played all the rugby and Sale haven't really had any ball. They haven't really played any rugby. And then, you know, it, and the reason that we haven't is because every time we had the ball, we cut Northampton open and we scored. And therefore, you know, that's why we didn't have much possession because when we did, especially in the first half, we were efficient with it. Um, mm. And then we kind of clung on to the game in the second half. So, yeah, you are right. It's It's a good blueprint. And I think, if you look at that team as well, the one thing we did struggle with, and this was point, pointed out by Martin Whiteley on Twitter a couple of times, and it was a good point, that we didn't really have any jackal threat. And I think that is going to be a, an issue because obviously we've got Tommy Taylor and Luke Carandicki and Augustin Creevy at hooker. Two of those aren't available for injury and international. So we've got Tommy Taylor and Ethan Kane um, on the weekend. We've got no Currys in the back row because Ben's injured and Tom's away with England. So... We've lost Acker, who was a massive jackal threat. Mm-hmm. Um, Bevan Rod is obviously with England, one of our biggest jackal threats. And, and the Currys are, are away as well. And I think as much as our defence was brilliant, against better teams, we won't be able to do that to them. We won't be able to... And, and when I say better teams, that's probably the wrong word. Different teams, because Northampton likes to play expansively. Against teams like Exeter Saracens, who have got that power in the forwards and want to you know, push you back and and are going to win some collisions against you. You need a jackal threat. And, and you know, listen, that's something we have in the squad and all of our best ones have either are either injured or with England. So that's just what happens. But it was something we did seem to really miss on the weekend because that was why, especially in the second half, I felt why Northampton were able to just keep building pressure because as much as we could drive them back, we could never quite turn the ball over. And that meant as long as they could keep hold of it, eventually they'd force a penalty or, you know, force something from us. Um, so that is one area that, I mean, we've got the people in the squad, they're just not there at the moment. But I do think we kind of need to find that threat coming through in the next generation because, listen, Ben Rod and Tom Curry are going to be with England quite a lot. And Ben Curry, we can't have it all on Ben Curry's shoulders because, you know, when he gets injured, which isn't very often, but when he does, then you're without one. So I think there's a big step up there for... And, you know, we've got the likes of Tristan Woodman coming through the academy and playing for Sale FC on the weekend. So there's there's people there, but it's just, it feels like you, we probably need one or two more jackal threats coming through to be able to relieve that pressure off our defensive system. I mean, it's amazing what we can do, the amount of pressure we can soak up, isn't it? But mm. it's you'd like to be able to turn the ball over and have a bit of attack now and then. Yeah, and I think... This game, and we've seen this across the Premiership a little bit this this weekend, 
Um, you do see where the where the teams drop off when their international players aren't available. I think that's a really good point, which is I think for the most part we played the sale way, sale slash Saracens way, I suppose it is now. Um, but yeah, we we still lacked just a little bit of crispness, crispness in terms of attack. You know, that's where you George Ford, you managed to Alangi's help. You know, we didn't necessarily have the on-ball threat like you've identified, Alex. You know, your Bevan Rods, your, your Tom and Ben Curries. You know, and it's the same for Northampton as well. Um, you know, they were missing, you know, a handful of players. Um, Courtney Laws, Lewis Ludlam kind of come to mind. Um, who, again, have the ability to, to bend the line a little bit. And maybe, you know, if you can't kind of get through sale from a tactical perspective, you know, you, we, we've seen you can sort of meet fire with fire sometimes and, and, and push them back, particularly, you know, when Tommy Taylor goes off and Jasper Vies has been on. Sorry, Jasper Vies and Ethan Kane both came on in around the 20th minute. So you know, by the end of the game, we've been playing a lot of rugby, um, particularly defending. So there's opportunities kind of missed there. But, yeah, I think it's a good point, which is Sam Dugdale, I think, has stepped up really well. Uh, Ethan Kane, you know, it was great to see him, you know, appear on the bench um, and obviously play really meaningful minutes. One of his first, like, top-level games, if, if not his first game in the Premiership. Um, but he did still feel like there's, there's maybe there's maybe another 15 20% here. We're not talking about the final, you know, 2, two 3 4%. It's, it's kind of like... We're maybe twenty percent off off where we are. So in Northampton, but at the end of the day, you know we've won that game, and it, it's four points in the bag. And I guess that means when we step back from it, Alex, it's a, it, you know we we have to be quite happy with that result. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know we're talking about as you say, both sides are missing players, and also you know injuries have have played their part as well. We obviously lost Sean Luke um, in that back row, and it's a good point. I mean, Sam Dugdale has been outstanding recently and, and continued that the physicality he hits with the way he depends general sort of work rate around the pitch um and uh, you know i think there was quite a lot of disruption to that team like you say losing john ethan kane coming on i thought acquitted himself superbly um he was really really i i just think he fit he, he looked comfortable at that level and, and that is quite a tough test against that Northampton side. You know, it's it's still a very good side. Um, I think the scrum started to struggle a little bit in the second half, but you know that is yeah. he, he is he is still he's not his development yet. Where you would say you should be dominating a scrum, he is at the stage where you go, okay, it's, it's, the scrum is going to be a bit tough. Get your lineouts right, get your work around the park right, and that is exactly what he did. And I, I think that was. Not not a concern or, or whatever, but I think that was probably the most noticeable part where that 15, 20% was, was missing because you had James Harper, who I, I thought struggled. You know, he got pinged a couple of times. Ethan Kane, you know, is a 22-year-old hooker playing his, what, first, you know, premiership game. You compare that with Northampton, who had, you know, Ethan Waller on the bench. It felt like that was where the biggest sort of mismatch was, particularly towards the end of the game. And again, maybe that speaks to these are the areas we have to be a little bit worried about when we think about what what can we learn from this game, which is, is our scrum actually going to struggle when we don't have Bevan Rod available? Do we have enough depth in the front row? I think that's a question that's not actually been answered yet because I think we've we've seen that... 
take most of our best players away, we're still good enough to be 80% of the premiership. Um, but I think there's a big question there about, okay, but what happens if you take not just George Ford and Bevan Rod, but if you take Nick Shonner away from, from, uh, from first team duty? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the big, the big concern is that when you look at our squad, Hooker is different because that's a very short term issue here, you know. Luke Kandeki will come back from injury and Augustine Greve will come back from the World Cup at some point. And that you know, we can get by on a couple of weeks. I think tight head prop is the area where losing Kern Eustazen leaves us a bit exposed. And you know, being really brutal here, if you look at the teams that are going to be up there at the end of the season, Saracens for example, they're going to have more depth at tight prop than we are. They're going to have more premiership minutes at tight prop. And it's such it's still such a crucial position because, you know, especially when you play teams like Northampton, but you saw, I think, over the weekend in various games that if if you've got an area of your game that's a weakness, then why would you not put pressure on that area of the game? Um, so South Africa felt like I had the upper hand at the scrum in the France-South Africa game on Sunday night to the point where when someone called the mark, they went for a scrum in the 22 rather than kick it, which is just baffling. But it's, it's, it's a way you can sort of put pressure on that area of the game. And there was another game that I watched that I can't remember. Oh, Sale FC this was. So this is, you know, two extremes here. But Sale FC's line-out was woeful on uh, Saturday for large parts of the game. It got sorted out by the end, but for a long time it was rubbish. And Richmond, who they were playing, just kept kicking to touch and were able to... And therefore, you know, if you kick to touch, and even if it doesn't make many metres, if you know that your opponent's line-out is struggling and you can get up there and disrupt it, you're going to be able to advance up the field. And that comes back to what I, what you worry teams will do to us is go, well, we can chuck the ball about because if we knock it on, we'll get a scrum and we'll probably get a penalty anyway. And and that opens up a lot more of the game. So it's an area we need to be careful of. I mean, I think, you know, the scrum generally was fine. We we coped pretty well. You know, James Harper's development will accelerate this season. You saw that with the likes of, say, Ross Harrison back in the day, uh, put into that position very, very young and kind of obviously tight and loose are different, different beasts. But just a comparison of that, I think, Harper's probably around the age that Ross Harrison was when he was coming through. But it is an area that if you're looking at it as an opposition, you're thinking that is an area to target and that is an area to focus on because we might be able to get the upper hand there. So, yeah, like you say, it raises some questions around that. I mean, I think the rest of our game, though, take away the scrum, I think the discipline was okay. We conceded like 13 penalties to Northampton, seven. So, again, we're on the wrong side of the ref, but a lot of that was just through sheer defensive effort. Um, but the pieces are definitely getting there, aren't they? But like you say, this is two teams who are 20% off their best. And if we play them, it's almost, you know, we could be playing Northampton in a home semi-final in how many months' time. And people look back at this game and it's, it's going to be a completely different game, isn't it? Because the squads are going to be completely different. And the intensity and the kind of level that the people are at is going to be rather different as well so that's again we're coming back to that you take the win and you kind of go okay we move on from that and we forget about it and we don't read anything into it which is what the squad will be doing it's kind of game by game isn't it it's not you're not thinking about the big picture but as a fan you do want to think about the big picture and go this is good 
And I think we, as fans, it even seemed like reaction on Twitter afterwards was kind of like, um, sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter, was kind of like, right, we've got the win. Let's move on. Let's go and watch England because, that's, you know, there's, it's hard to analyse much more, isn't it? Yeah. And that's what good teams do, right? Which is, you know, we look back at, this, at the end of the season, four points, you know, tricky, tricky game first out. Um, but we, you know, it was sort of job done. Um, and I think, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if we can sort of, you know, uh, you know, dust, you know, dust our hands and say, okay, job done. Well, you know, I think that's, that's probably about all you could hope for. I guess the, the disappointing thing is we score three tries in the first sort of 15 minutes or, or whatever it was, get a real sort of firm hold on the game. And then we don't really kind of kick on, but I think maybe a game into the season, Bemoaning a lack of a bonus points probably it's probably a bit much. I think we'll take the four and, and, and just move on. Um, speaking of kind of things to take away though, uh, debuts for Ernst van Ryan and uh, Sam Bedlow. Um, anything to take away from their first games in Cell uh, Colors? Uh, I mean, van Ryan, van Ryan will need to get that pronunciation sorted. I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm sure it, there's I, been a guide. I think it club. is Van it's Van Rain, isn't it? Actually, because wasn't there some tweet about? Some yeah, that's what Rain. I was thinking. Yeah, so, yeah. weather weather related jokes. Um, yeah. I thought he was brilliant. I, he's absolutely superb. I think someone described him as John Ross without the yellow cards, which is pretty accurate. But yeah, he just his intensity, his work rate. I mean, the chase. There was a period in the second half when Gus War did a couple did. A, couple of kicks downfield and Joe Car- the one where Joe Carpenter chased it and we basically relieved a load of pressure but he was second man there he was the guy who pushed um, whoever the Northampton player was back over the try line and just that work rate and that level of effort seems like he's fitted in really well in terms of the system and the kind of desire and, and that kind of thing so I was really impressed with him I thought were his you, skill set's really good Were you surprised to see him start at lock given that he's only six foot three, six foot four? A little, albeit I think we're quite fluid in that back row, second row area now, aren't we? In that you've kind of got Cobus Beeser, Josh Beaumont, Jean-Luc Dupria and, and now Van Rijn who, who can all cover both, six and lock. Um, so I was slightly surprised, but I think, you know, if it had gone, if it's one of those where you could almost fix it in game and just say, right, Jean-Luc, you go at five and... Ernst Hugo at six. Um, and even when Cobus Beast comes on, you can do the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was slightly surprised, but I think it's it's a really good option if we can get him at lock in these games and then we've got the flexibility going forward. Because um, obviously, you know, I think it's helpful that you've got Johnny Hill there because Johnny Hill could have been with England, maybe should have been with England, who knows. But the fact that you've got someone of his experience to kind of guide him through that is actually really advantageous. So, yeah, no, I was really impressed with him. And Sam Bedlow, I thought, as I think I alluded to earlier, had a really good game. That kind of pivot role, he's very instrumental in Tommy Flaxy's try. His physicality was really good. Um, you know, he, he was quiet, but I think Sam James was quiet. And both of them performed at a really high level, but kind of didn't do anything flashy or amazing, but just really solid and, and kind of created that space and, and ran those lines for other players to excel you know um sam james that little outside ball from a rook and then inside sam james where he makes the break in the first half um 
that kind of gets us going forward for what I think ends up being Tom Roebuck's try, maybe, um, is really, really good. But yeah, I, I just, I think really solid from Sam Bedloe. I was very, very impressed with, you know, when he left us last time, he was this kind of 10 slash 12, very good ball player, very good skill set, but maybe didn't have the physicality he's got now. And I think now he's got that kind of role where he can, yes, he can play that turn and you can pull the ball back, but you also know that you can send him up on a crash ball. And that makes him a really, really useful option at 12 for us when you think about the way we play and also who he is competing with for that position in Manu Tuilangi. You know, it creates that, it means we've got that consistency in the way we play because Manu has got probably a better physicality, but we've still seen him utilised for that pullback pass. And Bedlow can offer that. And as long as you're threatening the line with that physicality, which you can do, then that creates the kind of um, deflection and um, a word I can't think of, um, manipulation of the defensive line is what I was looking for, that you know, you're know you able to keep the defence honest and then, and then open up the space outside. So yeah, I was really impressed with them both. What did you think? To be honest, in a game like Sunday's, it's really hard to kind of pull out too much from individual performances because it's just so much of defence, 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 team structures. Um, you know, Van Ryan made his tackles, hit his rooks, showed a good motor around the pitch. I was surprised to see him at four. Um, maybe I shouldn't have been, but he's not, you know, he's not quite as big as Kovac Visa. He's not quite as big as Jean-Luc Dupree. And, you know, them moving from six to four makes a bit more sense than I think it does for Van Van Rain or whatever he's called. Um, so, for the most part, fine. Sam Bedlow, like you said, I was, again, pleasantly surprised with kind of how he was used. And I thought his attacking his part in sales attacking shape was really strong. We haven't mentioned Rod Dupree, and we do probably need to move on. But I thought Rod Dupree had a really good game. Um, but a big part of that is having the players outside of you to, to form the attacking shape, which allows you to you know do, do the long passes over the top e.g. to Tom Roebuck, or indeed, you know, kind of, uh, you know, set the dummy runners or, or whatever, um, which is obviously what happened for uh, Tom O'Flaherty's try. And I think to a man, the entire back line was, was pretty solid. Um, shape looks really good. You know, it's there's, there's something a little bit sort of island, you know, about how we're, we're kind of set up to, to play um, at the moment, which is, you know, you go down, you go through that back line, there's no necessarily... You know, mega stars until George Ford and Manu Tuolangi come back. But actually, to a man, it's just a set of really solid players who are all specialties at their position. And I think there's something really underrated about that, where you've got an out-and-out 12 in Bedlow, an out-and-out 13 in James, two out-and-out wingers, uh, and then obviously a specialist fullback as well. So, yeah, I think for the, for the, for the most part, I think they both went, both went very well. And obviously, big wraps to Ethan Kane for playing, what, 58 minutes on his debut and getting a try and getting a try yeah yeah um i think yeah i think that was very impressive and i think that's good for good signs for the future i mean we want to kind of graduate him into this squad we don't want him doing that every week but it's really good that he's been able to do it first go and i thought the only other thing i'll mention on the game was raffi and gus we talked i talked before about the game about that's a big selection call um and actually Last season, Gus, it was his shirt, and Rafi kind of came into form later in the season but did struggle, coming back from injury and that kind of thing. I thought they were both excellent on 
Sunday. Um, and it's going to be a really, really good competition between those two for the shirt. And, and that is great for sale. And they're slightly, they're very different in, not very different, but they're slightly different in the way they play and, and how they manage things. But it gives us, they both seem to, what's weird is Rafi is a real threat around the breakdown, really keeps defences honest in that way. Good pass, you know, very quick. Gus is very controlled, very good in the system. You know, his box kicking is excellent. It's just his work rate and his tenacity and his general being annoying um, is fantastic. And yet both of them, despite slightly contrasting playing styles, seem to fit in to the system in the way that works. So I think that's really encouraging for sale. And I think, you know, you look at those two, they're both young, they're both performing to a premiership standard already. We should be seeing them kind of, I think we're really well stocked at nine. I saw an article the other day saying something like, where does Sale keep finding these electric nines from? Because, you know, we've got Rafi, Gus and Nye Thomas coming through. So it's um, it's a really well-stocked position for us. And it's so good that we've got three players there, all academy graduates, all local lads who are, you know, now going and performing on, on a premiership stage for Sale. So that's a really good news story for me from the weekend, I think. Yeah, and the question of who starts, Gus or Rafi, will be an interesting one to to ponder as we run into next week's game, which is the the games are going to come thick and fast now. Uh, Sale are away at Leicester Tigers at uh, at Welford Road, Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock as we really get the Premiership rugby season rolling. And uh, no James this week, so I'll I'll chat through a little bit about Leicester Tigers. Probably a good time to play them, given that we go into you know the World Cup uh, semi-finals. A number of players uh, unavailable for for Leicester this weekend, uh, off the back of triumphs for Argentina, South Africa, England, etc. Uh, in that tournament, but just to kind of set the scene with kind of where Leicester are at. Obviously, so much has been made of um, the twenty twenty. Uh, two team that that won the Premiership under Steve Borthwick. And the exciting thing is that if you're a Leicester fan, uh, they are very much uh, uh, built around the same spine of the team that ultimately won the the big trophy a couple of years ago. Obviously got knocked out by Sale uh, in last year's semi-finals. Um, So there's a bit of history, a bit of recent history there between the two teams, but much in the way that Sale and Northampton probably suffered from not having their internationals with them this weekend, it'll be the same for for Leicester. Now, the positive news, if you're a Tigers fan, is there's still quite a lot of talent in this squad and it's been supplemented really nicely um, by a number of, well, what I think are quite uh, astute signings, particularly from those teams that unfortunately dissolved last season and this is going to be a theme I think when we talk about all teams this year but you go down the list of Leicester's incomings and outgoings over the year uh, over the summer sorry and a couple of names that really stand out Jamie Shilcock who's come back from Japan after after um, taking a short-term deal following uh, Worcester's demise um, Matt Rogerson obviously former sale player from from London Irish uh, Ollie Hassel Collins is probably the standout player obviously player tipped for, for England honours who's who's come across also from Irish. Um and then a couple of uh, a couple of sale boys. Uh Kieran Wilkinson obviously from the Sale Academy and Elliot Gurley uh also from the the, the Sale Academy. 
And so what Leicester under under new coach Dan McKellar are looking to do is really kind of supplement that squad, the Montoyas, the Genges, the, sorry, not the Genges, uh, he's gone, hasn't he? Um, the the Montoyas, the Joe Hayes, uh, the Jack Van Fleets, the Andre Bollards, uh, the Freddie Stewards, all of their kind of big ticket internationals with a number of really solid premiership players. Um, and I think it means that Leicester are going to be again there or thereabouts this year. They've got a new coaching staff. They've got basically a brand new setup, given that Sinfield, Wigglesworth have followed Borthwick um, to uh, to to uh, Twickenham. But you still have such a, a strong amount of top-end talent and depth that they are going to be looking again for, for playoffs or bust as, as a measure of success for their season. Obviously, the season didn't start too well for them on Friday night, first game of the year for all, all teams, going down 25 points to 14. A game that uh, uh, away at Bristol, a game that the Bears really actually dominated uh, for, for large parts of the game. And uh, I think Leicester can consider themselves a little bit lucky um, to maybe have uh, even got two tries in that game. Um, but I think overall, from a sale perspective, this is the time you want to play Leicester. You want to play them now in October under a new coaching staff uh, when all their internationals are away. You don't want to be playing them at Welford Road in March or April at the business end of the season when that team, which already looks pretty good on paper, is going to have those big ticket players back. So it's a, it's a very it's a very interesting game, this one, Alex. First home game for, for Tigers under Dan McKellar. Um, two teams in Sale and, and Leicester who are going to be hurting from not having those those uh, Tier 1 internationals. Um, although Leicester might have Tommy Rafael back, I suppose. Um, what do you make of this, this, this game? Because to me... It feel, on the one hand, it feels like a bit of a banana skin game for sale. And on the other hand, it also feels like this is going to be a really stern test given the pedigree that Tigers have in their squad and obviously in their coaching staff. Yeah, I agree. It's different intensity with, with obviously the, a lot of the internationals being away. And, and I think Argentina and South Africa not get sorry, getting through to the semifinals and therefore their players not being available is big because that is a big part of Leicester's kind of uh, physicality when you look at them. And they weren't great against um, against Bristol. I think they struggled. I think they missed Pollard at 10. Uh, Charlie Atkinson started, didn't he? So, Char- you know, Charlie Atkinson at 10. Uh, Joe Powell, a, very, a new yeah. signing from, uh, from um, uh, also from Irish, the, the Australian scrum half, he started at 9. Yeah, so it's new, new combinations. And I think like you say, it's it's a massive opportunity for sale because we've got a very settled squad and they are new coaching staff, new players coming in. And, and listen, I think you're right. I think that'll be really strong this season. I think we have to take this opportunity of going away. And there's no good time to go away to Welford Road. But going away in a World Cup cycle, in a World Cup sort of competition when most of their team are missing is probably the best opportunity we're going to get. You know, we... Our style of play suits playing Leicester. Um, I've got some mates who are Leicester fans who see us as their bogey team. I think we turned them over quite a few times. You know, you think to that season they won the league when they hadn't lost and we beat them at home uh, when George Ford was still there, um, albeit not playing. 
and then last season with the semi-final um you know even last season away at Welfare Road we nearly turned them over I think didn't we and, and just was it that season we just came up short or was it the season before I'm trying to remember there was a season when it oh no it might have been the season before last because it was just a massively intense test match game uh, and I think George Ford was still playing for them at that point but anyway we you know I think we've we've got the game plan and the structure to beat Leicester if we execute well I think we should be not confident of winning it, but I think the opportunity is there to do it. Listen, winning away in this Premiership is really hard. Look at the results from the first weekend. Every home team won. Um, it's going to be tough. So I wouldn't be surprised if we we lost. I think it's going to be a physical game. But as you say, you just have to take that opportunity when it's there for you, don't you? A hundred percent. And I think that point about combinations... I think I'm just looking up and down that team list at the moment. And like you said, it's just, you know, Jasper Visa has been in incredible form for the past couple of years. And the drop off between him and, say, oh, I don't know, uh, Ollie Cracknell, for example, is, is significant. And we, we just don't have those, those drop offs in the same way. Freddie Stewart to Mike Brown is a significant drop off. Um, no offense, no offense to former cell player Nick Dolly, but you know Julian Montoya down to Nick Dolly, it's a big drop off, and we just don't have those those peaks and troughs in the same way. Um, and like you've alluded to, it's going to be tough to win away from home, but this is where the benefit of sale and how they've been built, and actually the lack of disruption we've seen off the field in recent years, is going to come to the fore because even though, as I mentioned, Leicester still got that really kind of very very strong nucleus in place you know they've had so much turnover in the coaching department in the last couple of years it's going to take four five six rounds to to really get up to speed so there's a really good opportunity for sale to get an important scalp early in the season um with that being said then so what what are you looking out for like where's where's this game sort of won and lost i think if our defense is as good as it was against northampton i think that i don't see the attacking threat from leicester obviously i mean house collins is a brilliant player but if you can't get the ball to him, then you know they will struggle. And and I think he relies a lot on physicality. So if he's on the left wing and Roebuck's on the right wing, then that should be a really good matchup. Um, but if our defence is as good as it was against Northampton, I think that's the key because I don't see Leicester scoring loads of tries and throwing it around. So it's going to be like a test match. It's going to be take your points when they're on offer and kind of manage the game that way. And make sure that you're playing territory. And when Leicester attack, they'll attack in a system and attack in a formation. But I think if we can contain them like we did Northampton, I don't see them making the line breaks that Northampton did. And even when it comes down to the kicking, you know, this squad is set up for a kind of at the moment, and, and this is without Dan McKellar's influence over the last few weeks and, and as it will go on, at the moment the squad is set up for Andre Pollard to take the kicks at goal it's getting they've gone back all the Borthwick success came from going back to the old Leicester fashion of we'll maul well we'll dominate in the forwards we'll kick our points when we need them and we'll win games that way and we'll build it all in a really really solid defense so if we you know that that might be changing now under Miguel but at the moment that's the way the squad's set up so we're quite well placed to counter those strengths I think so yeah, if it, it all comes down to our defence for me, and if we can if we can keep that intact away from home, 
and just build a lead really, really steadily. You know, just take take three points, take three points, take three points. Before you know it, you quiet down the crowd, and and you get to the point where you know you've you've moved yourselves far enough away from Leicester that they can't do a Northampton and chuck it around and score twenty one points in ten minutes. Um, so that's the way to win it for me. I think it's a really tough test. You know, we're talking confidently, but it is a really tough test. But hopefully we've got, you know, let's be honest, if uh, if we lose this game, it's not the end of the world and it's not the end of the season. But if we win it, it's a really good marker to kind of a really good start to the season to beat both of last season's semi-finalists, one home, one away, in the first two weeks would be superb. Do you think we do it then? Do you think we go two for two? Uh, Prediction-wise, yeah, I think so. I think Sale twenty-two, Leicester twelve. I think I think we'll sort of keep them at arm's length all game, and and I feel relatively confident. Um, but I may live to regret predicting an away win because that is pretty bold. But what about you? I'd, I'd say twenty-five, fifteen. I just think, yeah, we're, we're this is a good time to play Leicester. We're in a good position. I think another week for for ourselves as well to get back into the scheme of things. I think we'll be in, in a good in a good place the only question mark is obviously tommy taylor's fitness because obviously asking ethan kane and i don't even know who to to back up on the bench uh, could be a big big ask um particularly against the leicester team that still has some some real like horses in their pack so that's the only consideration i think from my side but i think yeah we, we, we should be in a good place to, to to win this one um and that is the podcast for this week we could do some talk on the rugby world cup but I think the problem is if we did that, we'd be here until Tuesday. And it's Monday morning at the moment, uh, UK time. So, um, look, I, I guess really, really briefly, Alex, four, you know, well, two absolutely incredible games, four pretty good games overall. I think it's been, a, it's been an absolute bumper weekend for rugby. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just been wall-to-wall, like, quality rugby. Um yeah, as you say, we could talk about those games at length, but it's Monday morning and I'm still kind of getting my head around just how good they were. You know, I think all of them were massively intriguing. I think two of them were probably two of the best games of rugby I've ever seen um, in terms of the skill levels, the physicality, just everything. And and all four of them were massively exciting to watch. So it's been a really good advert for rugby. I think... I, I don't really get people who com- complain about the draw throwing this up because why would you not? What this Rugby World Cup struggled with is momentum and what this weekend gave it was four quality games back-to-back and that's given it, I think, some really good momentum. I think people have been watching it, everyone's been talking about it and it now goes into two massive semi-finals. So, you know, it might have been great for Ireland if they'd just been able to turn England over in a quarter and New Zealand turn Wales over or whatever but actually the intensity this has created uh, semi-finals are naturally mass- massive occasions so you know I think it's really good for the game um, I think it's really exciting I think England are going to get absolutely pasted I think New Zealand Argentina is going to be an interesting game but New Zealand are hotting up never write off New Zealand as some people choose to um, but yeah just the effort and the passion and the skill levels on show was just unbelievable and and you know like you say we could talk about every game in, in that kind of detail but it was just 
a really, really good weekend of rugby, wasn't it? Yeah, and I guess the, the only thing to say is it just feels a little bit anticlimactic that we've had the weekend we've just had in the quarterfinals rather than the semifinals. I think, and, and look, I know a lot's been said about the rankings in the past and, and when they decided to do the draw, but you know th- this will force a change because to have a game like South Africa, France, a game like Ireland, New Zealand, not to even determine who goes into the final is a real shame. And I think you'll see probably over uh, next weekend, it'll be a bit, bit anticlimactic because two of the best four teams have just gone out. I think New Zealand should handle Argentina quite comfortably. And I think you know South Africa should do the same to England as well. And I think you'll, again, after having probably the best weekend of rugby I think I've ever seen, you will probably have quite a big drop next weekend, which is such a shame. But, you know, I was the one who said a couple of weeks ago that you never write off South Africa. And I feel like I've been, it's a real shame to see France get knocked out, but I feel very vindicated in that. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, I'll, I guess I'll leave you with this thought, Alex. All this talk over four years about, you know, Ireland are the best team in the world, France are the best team in the world, and it's still going to come down probably to New Zealand and South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. It just shows what a nonsense a four-year World Cup cycle is um, in terms of if you're trying to plan for it and trying to build to a World Cup because you can do it all and you can end up with, you know, someone can have a shocker in the group stages like Argentina did and be in a semi-final. And, you know, that's not... They've built quite well into this, actually. They're looking back towards their old best and I think they'll give New Zealand a game. But, yeah, it's... It's a massive shame that France are out because I think it makes the competition a bit less intriguing for the French people and, and that they were creating a really good atmosphere. But it's amazing for you know to see how quickly four years of work for Ireland and France is just gone. And it's kind of, listen, you can talk about this is a young team, they'll start again, they'll go again. But for them, that's four years of building to this that has just gone in a quarterfinal. So and you could say that for France. I don't think you can say that for Ireland. I think this this was it. This was yeah. the chance. You, you, I didn't realize you go up and down that team list and like Jameson Gibson Parks in his thirties. Uh, you know James Ryan's at the back end of his twenties. Don't get me wrong. Players don't like fall off a cliff. You know once they hit thirty, but. You know, Johnny Sexton at 38 or whatever it is, he's definitely not going to be in the next World Cup. Tad Furlong's in his 30s. Andrew Porter, who I remember watching in Manchester at the, at the uh, under-20s, he's 27. So he's probably only got one more World, World Cup cycle left. And all of a sudden, even some of the players on the, the younger end are starting to age out a little bit. Like, this was the chance, and at least France still seemed to have uh, a slightly younger pipeline of talent. Yeah, I agree. I think that is the the real question because the thing is with Ireland as well. So once Sexton goes, then yeah, there's that massive question there. And as you say, once Gibson Park and Murray go, then you know they've you know they'll build to it, and and four years time they'll be a very different team. But I think you're right. You look at the players who kind of made this World Cup for them. Sexton's been crucial. Bundyaki's been absolutely crucial, and they're probably not going to make the next one. Um, Bundyaki's so, 34? Yeah, 33. He, he's, yeah, he's been around a long time, hasn't he? It's taken him a long time to get to the international game, and then he's just dominated this World Cup. And, you know, it's a massive shame for him. It's, it's it, it, you know, 
Need on in both of those Ireland, New Zealand, and France, South Africa games, the losers didn't deserve to lose, um, and you know that is just that's what's sport and what makes it great, isn't it? But it's it's you felt it's you know I was surprised this weekend at how sorry I felt for Irish, Welsh, and French people because you know I generally sort of uh, get. Yeah, I I mean I'm not I, I've gotten got nothing against them, but it's just to watch someone go through that amount of effort and and be that disappointed at the end is genuinely quite upsetting and and I think it's a shame for the Northern Hemisphere because there's a massive opportunity for four Northern Hemisphere semi finalists and by the skin of most people's teeth it's it's you know they've missed out by a point or two um, and by like a last phase turnover or whatever not even. Um, you know, like it was decided. So, yeah, it's it's just amazing to watch. And like we said, we could talk about this forever. But unbelievably, England are in a semi-final and are the only undefeated team left in the tournament, which is, I mean, just wrong, really. They are not good enough to be there, but they are there. And they weren't good enough to be there in 2007 and they got to a final. So, um you know that's the way the World Cup works. Sometimes Pe- teams get through, and and that's why people like it. So you know, if you want the top four, if there's no point having a World Cup if you want the top four teams to be in the semi-finals and the number one team to win it, you may as well just do it before it's done. So right, okay, Ireland, there you go. There's the World Cup. Well done. You were number one for the last four years. Good work. That's not the way, you know, sport works. It's not the way a knockout competition works. So let's enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I fear your prediction of South Africa is coming true yeah it's looking it's looking pretty good isn't it so that's the pod for this week uh we said we weren't going to do world cup stuff we still did nearly 10 minutes on it and that's the the short version but thank you to everyone for listening it's good to be back in in premiership rugby action um and we will speak to you guys next week after the leicester game alex anything else from your side I don't think so, no. Um, congratulations to the five people above me in the fantasy league. Um, I will do a proper rundown next week in the interests of uh, time, but it's been by, a good by, start. By now on, Ethan Kane, because I think he might get a, he might get a, yeah, a, few, a, few, a few meat pies at the back of uh, the sale rolling mall this year. Yeah, bye, bye, bye. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think there's anything else from me because everyone else I would normally talk about, say FC, Sail Sharks Women, etc., all lost this weekend, so I don't even want to go over it. So hopefully next weekend there's a better one for uh, other Northwest rugby teams and another good one for Sail Sharks. So we'll look forward to chatting to you about it then. Bye.